Welcome to the Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast series presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This series connects people affected by blood cancers to their community with stories of hope, healing, and help. Hi, I'm your host, George Athens. Welcome to the LLSC's ongoing series of podcasts dealing with the blood cancer experience. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Gerard Farrell, a general practitioner from St. John's, Newfoundland. The topic for discussion is how can blood cancer patients stay safe as COVID restrictions start to be lifted? Thanks for being our guest, uh, Dr. Farrell. Happy to try and help. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your field of expertise? Um... Not sure about expertise or experience. I, uh, I worked as a GP in oncology at the local um, H plus Murphy Cancer Center, uh, taking care of folks with breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, that sort of stuff from 1995 to about 2013. And then in 2014, I opened up a, a clinic, uh, a community clinic for uh, to try and help cancer patients get over um, their cancer experience, both the the treatment, well, mostly, but mostly the treatment for the cancer. So the surgery, plus or minus radiation, plus or minus chemo. After I set the clinic up, I started getting uh, hematology patients started coming to me for their cancer aftercare as well. And I also uh, take care of uh, children who've had, uh, who, uh, young adults now who had cancer when they were children, some of them hematology cancers. Um, and I take care of them now because they're graduating and uh, going back to the kids' hospital for their aftercare is not exactly an optimal solution. So those are the folks that I'm seeing in the community, and that's the practice that I'm trying to manage right now. What do you think will be the main challenges for those affected by a blood cancer when transitioning to a world with less COVID restrictions? Um, knowing what to trust, knowing what to do. The one thing about restrictions is that it does simplify life. If you're not allowed to leave your house, well, that's a pretty black and white type of situation to be in. It gets much more difficult when you've got different provinces removing restrictions at different times, arguably for different motives. One of the tensions that I've seen in COVID over the last two years is the tension between the scientists who are trying to figure it out in real time and boy, does that look messy. And the politicians, I think they got it all figured out, but for political reasons. And that tension between those, between those two groups has, has really led to some of the peaks and valleys that we've seen. You know, when Alberta, um, you know, declared that COVID was over last summer, it really didn't end well uh, for Alberta. So negotiating when BC is doing one thing and Alberta is doing a different thing and Newfoundland is doing a different thing and some people are wearing masks and some people aren't wearing masks. How do how do I as a as a as a, you know, as, a as a cancer patient, how do I know what I'm supposed to do anymore? And so that's the next two months in particular. I think are going to be really dicey in that regard because. Lots of people are going to be doing lots of different things. And from a cancer patient's perspective, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing is going to be the difficult question to answer. And let me guess, you're going to ask me to answer that question, aren't you? Well, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> what, are you what are you recommending that blood cancer patients and survivors do in terms of um, should they avoid visiting non-vaccinated people? Generally speaking, what I'm advising folks to do right now is stay the course. Um, I think if you if you're asking the if you're a hematologist, if you're if you're a blood cancer survivor and you're asking the question, what should I do? The answer is what you've been doing for the last two years, at least I think for the next couple of months. In terms of the non-vaccinated people, there's two reasons I think you should avoid them. One, 
there is still some evidence that they are a repository for the disease in the community. And so if, if you're likely to run into someone who's got COVID, you're best evidence that we've got right now is that you're more likely to run into to that in an unvaccinated person. The other thing is, if the person's unvaccinated, what else are they doing that might be considered risky behavior? Are they attending indoor gatherings with groups of more than 20 and nobody's wearing a mask? Are they, what else, what else are they doing that might, that might constitute risky behavior? And do you really, you know, is it so important for you to have that encounter with that unvaccinated person that you're willing to run all of those risks or for the sake of another couple of months, maybe you should just talk to them on the phone or just do a video link or something like that. Generally speaking, though, what I'm suggesting for folks is for the next two months, let somebody else take their mask off. Let somebody else have a large gathering indoors. For now, stay the course until we start to see the numbers really starting to drop. And we're not there yet, I don't think. Okay. And what about self-distancing then until COVID numbers uh, start to lower? Same thing or? Yes. I, you know, is there COVID in the community? Yes, there is. And as I mentioned, you know, I've, I've been in the business for a while and this virus has, it's, it has impressed the hell out of me in terms of how contagious it is, in terms of how virulent it is. Um, this is, this is one for the, I don't ever want to see another virus like this uh, in my lifetime. Um, because this, you know, this blows, blew the door off of AIDS. This blew the door off of H1N1 and swine flu and a whole bunch of other viruses. This, this virus means business. And we're really close to the finish line. But if you stop running before you cross the line, you don't win the race. And I think that's where we are now. We could be at the end of April in a really interesting place from the perspective of the numbers coming down. You know, we're through the worst of it. We're, 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 we're into that area that people, that, that phrase that people use way too early in this called herd immunity, but we could actually get there. And that's the state that allows us to stop wearing masks and start going back to what used to be a normal life. We're not there yet. And so just because you can see the finish line doesn't mean you stop running. It doesn't. In fact, if anything, you become, you, you know, you get you get more conscientious about doing all the things that got you to this point in the race so that you can actually get over the finish line. What would you suggest then um, if a person that's uh, dealing with a blood cancer uh, diagnosis, if, if they actually uh, find out they've been in contact with somebody that has tested positive for COVID? That's going to become increasingly difficult to avoid over the next couple of months because, because Omicron is in the community. It is spreading in an unchecked fashion. And as people start decreasing the restrictions, more people are going to start to get the virus. My suspicion is that the community health people are looking at Omicron and saying more contagious, but not as, not, not as virulent. Not as many people will get really sick because most people are vaccinated and boosted. And so if this goes through the community, we might be able to establish the kind of herd immunity that, that, that keeps us safe again in two months time. But again, we're not there yet. So I think that the, the, if, and, and, and you've got you to stratify a little bit. If, if you're a newly diagnosed cancer patient versus a cancer patient who's receiving treatment versus a cancer patient who's just finished the treatment versus a cancer patient who's three years out, those are different constituencies. The, the first three are probably the ones whose immune system it, it predisposes them to not only get COVID but also to 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 become really sick with COVID. But to get back to your to answer your question, sorry, I'm a prof. I can talk for twenty minutes on anything. Um, <laughs> to get back to your question, you're going to run into people who, through no fault of their own, are going to be exposed to COVID, who might potentially transmit it to you. 
don't hold it against them. It's, it's the nature of where we are. An example, uh, my wife is a family doc as well. Uh, one of her colleagues uh, texted her last night and said, my child just came home from school and we understand that the child is COVID positive. Well, my wife had had a conversation with that person in the office earlier in that day. If my wife gets COVID, it won't be because that person was, was inconsiderate. It's just the nature of where we are with this. They've given up contact tracing because by the time they trace the contacts, the disease has already moved on. There's a lot of it out there. There's a lot of it spreading. Do your best to avoid it. Should there be any extra caution uh, exercised by children or let's say older, older people? The two groups that seem to be, uh, the children have not been vaccinated, the very young children. And older folks, more because older folks tend to have comorbidities. So the people that we're seeing dying are, yes, they're the unvaccinated, but the, the, the older people that are, that are dying are the people who have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart disease. Uh, you know, they're people whose, whose metabolic reserve is, is, is diminished. Those are the folks that COVID tends to take out now. So I, I know there are two elderly people in my family. One is healthy. If she got COVID tomorrow, she'd probably shrug it off, even though she's going to turn 90 at the end of the month. The other uh, has a significant comorbidity overhead. And we're pretty sure that if she gets COVID, she will not survive the disease. Um, I think we're still, you know, it'd be great to take the masks off. It'd be great to go back to life as normal. We're, we're really not there yet. Um, and so I am encouraging people for the next two months, let other people take their masks off, let other people not social distance, let other people engage in the risky behavior. If you're asking me the question, then you're the person who probably shouldn't be doing any of that. The fact okay. that you're worried about it is the reason why you should probably continue to behave the way that you've been behaving for the last two years. So let's say uh, somebody wants to get back to um, who has cancer or dealing with a, a cancer scenario, mm -hmm. wants to get back to an active life, but still wants to feel safe. I guess maybe they should be doing some sports in an outdoor setting or something like that, or yeah. light sports. Yeah. Pray for an early and long spring and a long summer. I mean, that's the safest place you are. If you really want to get out and about, getting outdoors, still keeping some distance, but you don't have to be quite so fastidious about it outdoors. Get outdoors and, and get yourself moving out there. The out, not the outdoor, you know, it, it, uh, outdoor activities are, are have been shown to be much much safer than indoor activities for this virus. So if, if you're getting stir crazy. Um, wait for a sunny day and go out and enjoy the great outdoors. And um, you can probably, you know, we're all getting a little stir crazy. Believe me, we're all getting a little stir crazy. It's been two years of this stuff. We're all tired of it. No mistake. But as I said, you know, in a 400 meters at the 300 meter mark, you come around the second curve and you can see the finish line, but you're not there yet. And if you give up running, then not only do you not win the race, you don't finish the race. Outdoors is your best option, in my opinion. So as we wrap this up, any final words that you'd like to share with uh, our blood cancer community? Um, I, think, I think we're in a really, really good place. Ironically, we're, 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 we've got a significant, particularly here in Canada, we've got a significant number of people vaccinated. The, the in-hospital numbers are manageable. The ICU numbers are manageable. The death rates are better than they were back in the Delta days. Um, and I think that, as I said, I'm, I'm really optimistic that it, by the end of April, we're, we're going to be in a much, we're either going to be in a much better place or we're going to know another letter of the Greek alphabet and that will be a bad thing.
Well, really uh, informative uh, conversation, Dr. Farrell, uh, with a little bit of sarcastic humor as well. And um, I must say, um, covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. So thank you so much for your contribution. I hope, I hope it helps. If listeners have any questions about this podcast or need any support or resources to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community service manager in your region. For more information, visit bloodcancers.ca. If you liked our podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts. We also welcome any ideas for our program, so we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your suggestions or comments at info at bloodcancers.ca. Until next time, stay well and stay connected. Thank you for listening to The Blood Cancer Experience, a series of podcasts presented by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. We are committed to supporting the blood cancer community through programs, services, and research.